Good afternoon. I'm John Hart, the co-founder of C3 Solutions, the Conservative Coalition for Climate Solutions, and I'm the editor of our news magazine, C3. Welcome to another edition of Right Voices, our video and podcast interview series where we highlight conservative leaders and ideas in the climate debate. And today we're honored to be joined by Representative Buddy Carter, who has represented uh, Georgia's first district since 2015. Congressman Carter serves on the House Energy and Commerce Committee and the House Budget Committee. And he's also a pharmacist. Uh, and maybe we can get into healthcare a little bit and, and how that uh, connects uh, to this issue. And he's a member of the Select uh, Committee on Climate Change as well. Congressman, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be with you. Well, tell us, wh why did you join? Uh, why did a congressman from Georgia decide to, to put your reputation on the line and weigh in on, on this climate issue that, frankly, if, if we talk to, to people on our side, there's a lot of skepticism, and rightly so, that if you talk about climate, you're a socialist, you're somehow giving credibility to the other side's arguments. How do you navigate that with your, with your constituents and colleagues? Well, first of all, that's a great question. And I actually advocated, I actually lobbied to be on the Select Committee for Climate Change because I feel very strongly that the representative of the entire coast of Georgia, over 100 miles of pristine coastline, should be uh, involved in, in this discussion and should be on this Select Committee. That's why I advocated to be on it and why I'm, why I'm honored to be on it. Um, it is very important. Look, I believe in climate change. I do believe it's cyclical. I believe that um, man does have a certain impact on it. But, you know, I, I've always taken it from somewhat of a pragmatic uh, point of view in the sense that how do we address this? Well, we address it through three ways. First of all, through adaptation, mitigation, mitigation and innovation, adaptation. Uh, just to give you an example, um, we, we have barrier islands on the Georgia coast, and we know that we're having uh, rising sea levels. We've got a road out to one of our barrier islands in Chatham County, out to Tybee Island, that, that floods uh, at least once a month, sometimes twice a month, not because of rain, but because of high tides. We're about to rebuild that road. Well, we need to adapt to that. We need to build that road up. We need to make sure that we can avoid these, these floods when the road has to be shut down. Mitigation. We can mitigate, and I give the example all the time of, you know, if you build a house on the marsh, on a slab, it's going to flood. We've right. got to have our building codes and our zoning to where we we don't have to have FEMA buy a house three or four times over. That that just makes sense. And that's the kind of common sense things that we can do. And of course, innovation, we all know we need innovation. I get very frustrated by, by people on the other side who seem to think that if we don't have this problem solved by day after tomorrow, that we're all going to fry. I don't believe that's the, that's the case at all. Yes, I do believe that man has had an impact on, on climate, but I think that most of it has been just cyclical that, that we experience and we have experienced all throughout the ages. And that's why we have to be smart about this. We can't allow our policies to get ahead of our innovation. And, and oftentimes that's what's happening. And we, we witness that right now. We see what's going on in the world and we see that Russia has invaded Ukraine, right. and it reminds us of just how important our energy independence is to our national security. Yeah. Well, Congressman, you, you may not know this, but we were actually in, in Glasgow at COP26. Uh, first time I'd ever gone. Uh, I'd never been to a climate uh, summit before, the UN summit. 
And one of the points that our organization was making was, was that we were literally fueling at the time was Russia's buildup on the border of Ukraine. It was, and what it was, was Europe's energy policy. And it was a bit of a shell game because they wanted to say, we're going green, we're, we're, we're you know, uh, having renewables replace fossil fuels, but they were really shifting the fossil fuel consumption to Russia. And, and I think when, it, so one of the points that I think our country, particularly the left doesn't see is the danger of bad climate policy can even be worse than the danger of climate change itself. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And we've witnessed it right here in the United States of America. Do you realize that the last two years of the Trump administration, that the carbon emissions went down each of those two years by two and a half percent? The first year of the Biden administration, carbon emissions in America have gone up by six and a half percent. Now, the the primary reason for that is because the the attack on fossil fuels that this administration has had, this war on fossil fuels, causing us to have to use dirtier energy from Russia and from other countries. Absolutely. What our private innovators here in America, they've cleaned up and and done a better job. I I use the the fact um, quite often that over the last decade, the United States of America has decreased our carbon emissions by more than the next 12 countries combined while growing our economy. It can be done. We can solve this this problem without destroying our economy. Yet this administration, they want to move forward and and have this war on fossil fuels. And, And, you know, they say, okay, um, we're going to open up the federal lands for for drilling now. Well, that's great. And it's never too late to do the right thing. I say that about the ban on Russian oil as well. It took them long enough to do it, but they finally did do it. Thank goodness. I actually had legislation that the speaker would never uh, would never call up, but uh, it was ending our dependency on Russian oil. But finally, The administration did do that. And as I say, it's never too late to do the right thing. So kudos to them. At the same time, that's what happened in Europe, as you alluded to earlier, is that, you know, they 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 let their policies get ahead of their innovation. Now, I'm I'm happy that they're wanting to do solar and wind. And I've been over there. I've been Rotterdam. I've been to. Uh, to to Brussels, and I've seen that they've made good progress, but they're not at the point now to where they can do without fossil fuels, and they're especially not at the point where they can do without nuclear energy, which they've already shut down some of their plants, and it's too late now. Yeah, and and I think you mentioned Rotterdam, but but the the Netherlands has done a remarkable job on adaptation, which. You know, you're representing a coastal uh, district is, is extremely important. But you, you made an important point about po- about the relationship between policy and innovation and how sometimes our good intentions outstrip the pace of innovation. So how do you as, as, a, as a policymaker, how do you make sure that we don't do that, that we that what happens in legislatures doesn't undermine what happens in labs? Well, two things. First of all, we we have a we should be dependent on the private sector to help us. And the private sector plays an important role in this. If the government would get out of the way and let the private sector uh, do their work, then I think we'd all be better off, um, particularly in the way of energy. I mean, look at what, uh, you know, natural gas in the United States is 47 percent cleaner than it is the, the Russian natural gas is. Why aren't we using more of that? And we see now that we have been exporting 
um, natural gas from here in America that's going to to Europe, which is good because you don't want them using that Russian natural gas that's even dirtier. That's not good for Europe and it's not good for our environment whatsoever. And we need to make sure that uh, that we are keeping up. I'm a big advocate of, of um, nuclear energy as well. I believe that nuclear is going to play an important role in, in the future of, of our energy needs here in, in this world. And to see what they've done in Europe is 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 very disappointing. Now France gets it; they're they're investing in in nuclear plants, but in Europe and in Germany and some of the other countries, they've gone ahead and closed down their nuclear plants. Now uh, it, it's not going to do them any good because it, to get them started back up would be so awesome. So that, that's you know we got to be smart about this, and if we would let the private sector do their job with innovation, I think it'd be much better. And and what can we do on nuclear to to speed up that process? Do you have any any recommendations and policies that you'd like to see implemented? Well, obviously, I think uh, the, the only two nuclear reactors that are under construction right now are in the state of Georgia, just a couple hours above north of my uh, of my district up at um, Plant Vogel near Augusta, Georgia. And uh, we need to get those online. The small nuclear module plants are, are really what people are, have been talking about. And that, that I think, is, is uh, the wave of the future. And I think you're going to see a lot more of that. I've also been talking to some companies that um, have been very innovative in using, using the uh, spent nuclear rods and the, the, the nuclear waste and, and, um, and using it and and, and making sure that we're we're able to 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 renovate that and to recycle that to where it can actually become usable fuel again. Yeah. So, Congressman, it sounds like what you're advocating is an all of the above energy strategy, whereas whereas often the left, the Biden administration has everything but everything but fossil fuels, everything but natural gas or nuclear. That's exactly right. And it is going to have to be an all of the above type energy strategy in order for us to be successful. And, uh, you know, the the thing that frustrates me, uh, again, one of the many things that frustrates me uh, about the environmentalists and the far left and the Green New Deal is that they don't look at the whole life cycle of the uh, of of energy. I want to use an example of biomass, which biomass, uh, we have a lot of pine trees in, in my state, Georgia's number one forester state in the country, and um, we produce a lot of biomass, which is used in Europe quite extensively. Now, it's it's kind of getting a, a black eye in Europe as well. They're thinking, oh, you burn it and it goes and that adds carbon into our into our atmosphere. That cannot be good. But if you look at the whole life cycle of biomass, you find that the the sustainable forest when we replant those forests that those forests act as carbon sinks and they actually absorb that carbon so if the full cycle of it leads us to a carbon neutral and in a lot of cases a carbon negative uh, production and that's what we need right and Carson I know you've also worked on the issue of critical minerals and the, the, where I th- that's such a, a key issue because, again, going back to what happened in Europe before Russia invaded Ukraine is there was the shell game. They went renewable, but they really shifted all their fossil fuels to Russia. Now, the Biden administration, as you noted, they, they kind of went kicking and screaming to the point of being, being willing to ban that oil. 
But but some some on the left are still saying, well, we the lesson from Russia is that we just need to go even faster to re, to renewables. And again, we I love clean energy. I hear, I'm hearing that you do too. But you have to be a prag, pragmatic about it. Otherwise, you're going to hurt a lot of poor people in this country and around the world. And the issue, if we just go uh, away from fossil fuels, it just so happens that China owns a lot of the supply chains uh, of critical minerals. So maybe you can talk about about that that side of it as well. Well, again, uh, going back to, to the unprovoked invasion of Ukraine by Russia, one thing that, that has taught us is how important energy independence is to national security. We have to understand that. Yes, China is... They they have the rare earth minerals. They have what is needed to make the the solar panels, uh, to make the 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 um, the blades for the for the wind funnels and everything else. And and now we're becoming dependent on them for that. That's not a good situation for us to be in. And that's going to lead to to less national security. That's why we we have to be aware of that. And another thing is, you know, I talked about the life cycle of of energy sources. Uh, you know what? What do you do with those solar panels after they're they they've been used and they're no longer usable again? What do you do with those uh, blades, those wind tunnel, those wind funnel blades? Um, you know, all of they the the left never wants to talk about that. They they want to ignore that. They want to ignore the fact that uh, these these rare earth minerals that we need are are in China and that we're going to be in a situation where we're going to be dependent on them for that again. This is important, obviously, to our environment. It's important to our national security as well. Yeah. Well, Congressman, if I could ask you just one last question. You know, I mentioned at the outset, you're a pharmacist. And uh, just some of my quick backgrounds. I worked for uh, former Senator Tom Coburn for years um, and also Jim DeMent. But Coburn was really a leader on the health care issue. And, you know, he was a pioneer of offering an alternative to Obamacare with then, you know, uh, Paul Ryan before he was speaker. Uh, Richard Burr in the Senate. And it, to me, I see a lot of parallels between this issue of climate and conservatism and the issue of healthcare that we struggled for so many years to have to define what we were for. And I'm encouraged by you and others in this space who, who have really put their reputation on the line and have been willing to step into a debate that is a bit of a head scratcher sometimes for conservatives. Like, well, how can you be a conservative and talk about climate? Well, what you just described is a worldview totally consistent with constitutional conservatism. And I guess from your experience in healthcare, do you see that as a, as a parallel where it, has it underscored for you the importance of leading in an issue like climate change? No question about it. And, and we've got to be a leader. And, and, and you know, the, the, the Democrats would love for you to think that all conservatives, that all Republicans are just climate deniers and that we don't believe in it at all, uh, that nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, listen, I, the Georgia coast is my home. It's where I've lived all my life, where I intend to live the rest of my life. My fondest memories of growing up or going fishing with my dad on the coast. I want to make sure my children, my grandchildren have that same opportunity. I love our environment. I, I, I love uh, our, our natural uh, resources that we have in the state of Georgia and all throughout the United States. Of course, we care about this. But what we care about also is making sure that the private market, the private sector is involved in innovation. And, and, and if you look at what we've done over the past decade and a couple of decades, you see that we've made tremendous strides and, and tremendous progress in this area that, that the left just does not want to give you any credit for. 
I, and, and, you know, in the parallel to, to healthcare, I think is a, is a legitimate parallel. And I think it's quite appropriate because I still maintain that we have the greatest healthcare system in the world right here in the United States of America. If you're sick, you don't want to be anywhere else except right here in the United States of America. Yes, we've got problems we need to, we need to address. There's no question about it. Costs are escalating. Prescription drug prices, which I've taken a keen interest in, is something we need to address. But at the same time, we still have the greatest healthcare system in, in the world right here in the United States of America. Yeah, and I, and I think what makes it great is that in spite of all the flaws and dysfunctions in it, there, there is still a fair amount of freedom where the individual is driving the bus. And I think in the issue of climate, you know, we we did a report called Free Economies or Clean Economies that show that countries that rank high on the Heritage Index of Economic Freedom also rank high in the Yale Environmental Performance Index. So in other words, there's a strong correlation between freedom and well-being and, and security, a clean planet, better health care. And that's really, I think, the fundamental message of, of constitutional conservatism is that is that we offer freedom, we offer choice and much better outcomes across the board. I could not ignore. I, I think you've hit the nail on the head right there. Well, Congressman, thank you so much for, for your time. Again, this has uh, been Right Voices with Representative Buddy Carter. And uh, we'd love to have you back on as, as uh, the, these issues progress. And uh, best of luck to you, Congressman. Thank you very much. 